Welcome to the Hogan Levels False Claims Act podcast series. These episodes will focus on many important cases and issues that have surfaced in 2020, shaping False Claims Act enforcement today and in the years to come. In this six-part podcast series, our lawyers will analyze some key developments to help you prepare if the government comes calling with tough questions. In 2020, federal appellate courts continue to grapple with the long-disputed question of whether and when a scientific, clinical, or medical opinion can be false and thus serve as a predicate for False Claims Act or FCA liability. A 2019 ruling from the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals in United States v. Care held that in the context of hospice reimbursement, a, quote, reasonable difference of opinion among physicians, unquote, as to a medical provider's judgment regarding hospice eligibility could not, on its own, satisfy the element of falsity for FCA purposes. Many hoped this ruling would be a bellwether, indicating a path for other courts to follow. However, new appellate decisions in 2020 have shown us that other courts are not necessarily inclined to follow the 11th Circuit's reasoning. My name is David Bastian. I'm a senior associate in Hogan Lovell's Boston office. Joining me today to discuss this topic is Maria Durant, Hogan Lovell's office managing partner in Boston, and Julia McLechey, counsel in Hogan Lovell's Boston office. Both Maria and Julia advise clients in the life sciences and healthcare sectors in connection with criminal, civil, and regulatory enforcement matters. Thank you both very much for joining me. For those of you listening, we are recording this podcast from our homes in light of COVID-19 social distancing guidelines. Maria, to start us off, before we dig into recent developments, could you explain us to us a little bit the context in which the issue of falsity of a magic medical d- judgment comes up, and is scrutiny by regulators something new in this area? In the last decade, we've seen a growing number of investigations focusing on what is a basic fundamental part of our healthcare system in the United States. That is physicians' clinical judgments and their determination of what they think is best for their patients. Whether it's a determination that a patient needs to be treated on an inpatient basis instead of outpatient, whether a patient requires certain medication or laboratory tests, or whether a medical procedure is reasonable and necessary, those clinical judgments and determinations are reflected in physician orders and prescriptions or certifications, all of which form the basis for a claim of payment from a federal healthcare program. And as such, they are potentially false statements under the Federal False Claims Act. And it used to be that courts and prosecutors were reluctant to find that these professional judgments were false statements because in many cases, reasonable medical minds can differ. And indeed, the, the medical field itself is replete with differing opinions. Frankly, it's often from those differing opinions that we find our greatest, most beneficial advancements in the diagnosis and treatment of medical conditions. But now the tide has shifted. Physicians are no longer viewed as infallible to the extent that they were in years past, either by prosecutors or by juries. Government investigators and prosecutors are focusing their sights to a greater extent on physicians and healthcare providers who deliver and arguably profit from the items or services that physicians order. Questioning the clinical and medical judgments of those physicians and asking whether the judgments are instead financially motivated. A lot of this activity, both in terms of initiating investigations and proceeding with prosecutions, is data-driven. 
The government is very sophisticated in data mining and it extrapolates from claims data to advance claims that prescriptions or volumes or lab tests or even patient qualifications for services or procedures are medically unnecessary. And too often in the course of this sophisticated data analysis, it's the physician's medical judgment and clinical determinations that can easily get lost in the review. Julia, I'd love to bring you into the conversation at this point. Um, what are we seeing from other courts in response to this shift in tide from the government? We thought we had a ruling in 2019 that provided a path forward for other courts to follow, but then the Third Circuit and the Ninth Circuit weighed in in 2020. What did their findings mean, and does it indicate a circuit split that has now developed? Well, just backing up a little bit, historically, there were a number of decisions noting that expressions of opinion or medical or scientific judgments could not be false, and thus were basically insulated from False Claims Act scrutiny. As the enforcement landscape has shifted, several other circuits have addressed this question head on and actually overturned district court rulings where the district court was relying on that old sort of conventional wisdom and held that in certain circumstances, at least, uh, a medical judgment can actually be false for False Claims Act purposes. But there were still open questions after those cases uh, regarding what circumstances or what kind of evidence would be sufficient to make a seemingly subjective medical judgment false. In 2019, we had the Care ruling from the 11th Circuit. Um, and there, the court found that, at least in the hospice care context, um, a disagreement among experts about the life expectancy of a patient and thus their eligibility for hospice care under Medicare without any other objective indications of falsity was not enough to prove that um, a claim was false under the FCA. Um, Instead, the court said that they would need to see evidence of so-called objective falsity, such as that the certifying physician didn't actually believe what they certified or just acted as a rubber stamp, like without even reviewing the patient's medical records. So after that, defendants were feeling sort of hopeful that this decision could provide some clarity that at least with a clearly subjective judgment like life expectancy, that a relator was going to need to do more than just find an expert who disagreed with the doctor's clinical judgment in order to to survive summary judgment. But in March of 2020, the Third Circuit in the Care Alternatives case came out and said the opposite, that a disagreement among experts regarding eligibility for hospice on its own was enough to create a triable issue. Um, The Third Circuit's view is that questions about the subjectivity of a medical opinion relate to the defendant's state of mind, not to the element of falsity in the FCA. So there is a clear split between those two circuits, the third and the 11th, on that, at least the narrow issue of falsity in the hospice admissions context. And just a few weeks after the Third Circuit's ruling, the Ninth Circuit chimed in in the Winter case and held that under the False Claims Act, a certification of medical necessity can be false and pointed to circumstances where the doctor's opinion is not honestly held or is based on false underlying facts. This case was in a different context outside of the hospice circumstance and involved hospital inpatient admissions, which a former employee claimed weren't medically necessary, but were actually part of a scheme between the hospital and other facilities owned by the same corporate parent. There were also some allegations of bad faith by the parties. So the Ninth Circuit held that that was enough to withstand a motion to dismiss. And now, Maria, 
Do you expect that the Supreme Court will get involved to resolve this issue? Well, um, I certainly hope so, because this split is quite stark um, between the circuits and uh, practitioners need uh, the clarity of, of guidance. And so not surprisingly, the defendant in the care alternative case has filed a petition for writ of certiorari and asked the Supreme Court to settle this critical question. Um, which the Third Circuit in Care Alternatives and the Eleventh Circuit in Care disagree on. And that is whether a physician's honestly held clinical judgment regarding hospice certification can be, quote, false under the FCA based solely upon reasonable differences of opinion among physicians. It remains to be seen whether the court will grant the cert position and take the matter up so should the Supreme Court grant cert, it remains to be seen whether the court will rule narrowly regarding the question presented just in the hospice certification context, or whether the court will provide more general guidance regarding the falsity element of the False Claims Act, and whether a medical judgment, not just in the hospice care context, can be the basis for a claim under the FCA. If the court were to rule more broadly, that is beyond the hospice setting, its decision would have significant implications in the healthcare industry. If the Supreme Court uh, accepts cert and agrees with the Third Circuit that the testimony of just one government expert disagreeing with a physician's medical judgment is enough to establish falsity, we could actually find ourselves in, in what I think would be a remarkable position where it's actually easier to bring a False Claims Act claim than perhaps a, a medical malpractice or a negligence claim where a plaintiff at least needs to prove that a physician violated a standard of care. So it's therefore not surprising that many in the legal and medical communities are watching closely whether or not the Supreme Court will grant cert and whether there will be some clarity um, or whether or not we'll continue for some time to deal with this very clear circuit split. And Julia, have these new cases changed the way in which you or your clients might approach litigation under the False Claims Act based on alleged false medical judgments? Unfortunately, this recent line of cases we've been talking about has generally made FCA cases based on false claims of medical necessity harder to win for defendants um, on a motion to dismiss or even on a summary judgment because of the increased focus on factual issues. These uh, two latest decisions in the third and ninth circuits in care alternatives in winter could give the government even more confidence and leverage in pursuing investigations as long as they can find at least one expert who disagrees retrospectively with the physician's judgment. Um, the new cases could also cause defendants to refocus their arguments on the scienter element of the FCA, which was what the Third Circuit suggested in care alternatives. But scienter can be alleged only generally at the pleading stage and can also be difficult to disprove at summary judgment. So these cases could further limit defendants' chances of getting a case dismissed before a trial which then, of course, results in an always unwelcome choice between litigating through a trial and settling a case that you think, you know, maybe you could win. But in cases outside the hospice care context, there are definitely still arguments to be made distinguishing the hospice Medicare guidelines that were the subject of care alternatives from other Medicare reimbursement guidelines for different procedures. Now, Maria, 
how have these developments changed the way you advise clients and are you doing anything differently? Well, given the uncertainty in this area, compliance measures are important. Physician judgments and clinical determinations are potentially under attack. So having systems in place to ensure that the providers document their decision-making regarding any course of treatment appropriately and thoroughly supported by sufficient medical records will make it easier to defend a subjective clinical judgment call. And training on proper clinical documentation is time well spent for an organization. Additional layers of clinical review may also help to support and buttress a provider's reasonable clinical decision to order an item or a service, but you know, there are delay in cost concerns the more you add additional layers to the process. So that's just something that um, institutions are going to have to balance. An organization should also be looking at its own data. The government is looking at the data, so should institutions. Looking for any potential red flags, such as providers who may be doing a very high volume of procedures or prescribing a very high volume of a particular medication. That in and of itself does not indicate a problem as there may be very good justified reason for the particular provider's actions. But looking at the data and understanding the data and what it tells you will help mitigate any risk. And finally, having a robust complaint investigation system is critical. Issues that used to be handled by a peer review or a quality assurance function can now raise issues for compliance officers. And it's all of these things in its totality that can help a company mitigate its risk of FCA liability during these very uncertain times. Julia, these subjective opinions regarding FCA liability aren't limited to the healthcare uh, sector, are they? I mean, we're in the midst of a global pandemic, and I would assume that that would have some implications for the potential exposure under the FCA, would it? It does. Wherever um, individuals or businesses are getting money from the government, there's a potential for False Claims Act liability. Um, Prosecutors have been historically pretty creative in coming up with theories of liability under different programs in the healthcare industry, but and also beyond. And since such a huge amount of money in government assistance was dispersed in 2020 to combat the pandemic, there's certainly a lot of potential for FCA issues. For example, businesses that receive loans through the Paycheck Protection Program were required to certify that the economic uncertainty made their loan requests necessary to support the business's ongoing operations. So this statement certainly has an element of subjectivity or opinion baked in. If the government is able to find an expert who disagrees with that opinion, even you know retrospectively, it could pose an FCA problem for that business, especially if the Supreme Court were to uphold the Third Circuit in the CARE Alternatives case. Thank you, Maria, and thank you, Julia, for what's been a great and insightful discussion today. Thank you for listening. If you're interested in any of the issues raised during this podcast, we would love to discuss them in more depth. Please feel free to reach out to any of our podcast participants to talk through any questions or comments you may have. For additional analysis on this topic and others around the FCA, please download our latest publication, False Claims Act 2020 Guide and the Road Ahead from HoganLevels.com.